do hope this finds you well and in good spirits. I am Asati Nu, and I welcome you to another episode of Overlooked Giants. In this episode, I'm sitting with vocalist and songwriter Anna Maria Flachero. I met Anna Maria several years ago, and I remember that she was struggling with her cancer diagnosis, and we had an opportunity to chat for a bit, and she mentioned how much she missed her voice. And that resonated with me, maybe because I am a vocalist as well. Fast forward a few years, and the universe reconnected us again. She and her wife invited my partner and I to their home for dinner, and we graciously accepted. They fed us with love and with food. While we ate, they began sharing stories of their lives, and I found myself, as usual, imagining these stories playing out right before me. I knew then I needed to collect her story. She and her wife invited me into their home again, this time with the purpose of collecting something valuable from her words. We sat in her home studio, and before we began our interview, she softly played on her piano and quietly sang songs. This was a wonderful prelude to her story. Well, my name is Anna Maria Fletchero. I'm a singer-songwriter, and um, born in the late 40s. And I, um, I, I still aspire to, to be a, a, a singer-songwriter. So I started my, um, my musical journey um, at a very young age, I wasn't from the church. I was from the projects, the streets. And there were uh, singing um, groups that I played piano uh, behind. I cannot read music. I didn't read music back then. I can barely read music now. But I played for singing groups, you know, the, the, the doo-wop era, so to speak. Um, and my brother was one of the people that I played for. Both of my brothers were in the same b band. My oldest brother was the lead, and then my my uh, my other brother Tino. He was in the background. I just played around the projects and at school talent shows and that sort of thing. So that's where it really where the seed was planted was via my brother, and he was just wonderful singer, absolutely beautiful voice. Um, and taken his direction. So that's where my seed was planted. I did not go through the church. Mm -hmm. Like many of the people in my, in my day. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of, in terms of that, it's kind of like branched off. As a teenager, I got into a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. Most of my um, teenage years was spent in what we call youth authority. And so in Youth Authority, I was sent up to, you know, a couple of different facilities. Um, Los Gillicas uh, School for Girls, one, we call it LG, and then Ventura uh, School for Girls. Uh, so I spent about, mm, if we want to put it all together, three and a half years, almost four years of my uh, adolescent um, years was spent in, in Youth Authority. And in Youth Authority, that's where I was taken away from uh, this cubicle that I was in, in San Francisco. I call it the concrete jungle. And I was taken away from that and placed in an environment of people with different perspectives in life all over California. And that's where Ventura School for Girls, you know, who've gotten to, I guess what we call big time trouble. And uh, my trouble was just being extremely violent. 
and uh, full of rage. So that was my issue. Of course, via the self-medicated and stuff, you know, alcohol-fueled, drug-fueled rage. So I got into trouble, um, you know, doing that. And while I was there, I fell in love with uh, a person. Her name was Pearl. And, um, I mean, I just, I mean, I was there about two and a half years. So I fell in love with her. And uh, in the Youth Authority, particularly within women's group, we, we formed families. It's very different than the male facilities, but we formed families. Right. And that's real serious families um, of, you know, being protected and just being a, a part of a lot of emotional support a lot of emotional support from uh, these women. And we took on the um, role models of mother, father, I'm your uncle, you're my cousin, and we really played those roles out to a T. And so when I got out, um, I got out first, and I got back to the streets, and that's when I wanted to identify as um, uh, being gay. So. Back then, we called them stud broads. It wasn't butches, I mean, amongst the black people, at least with my circular friends. So it wasn't a butch, I was a stud broad. And as a stud broad, um, I changed my name to Ray. And well, I didn't really change my name to Ray. It's kind of like really weird. You know, people got together, you know, it's very, I guess it was a small group of us who decided that we really wanted to show our sexuality without really talking to one another about it. It's not like today, you know, it's kind of like you visually looked at somebody and you know, oh yeah, you, you know, you're going to be an aggressive one. So your name should be Ray, you know, or your name should be BJ or, or, or something like that. So that's kind of like um, how that fell. And um, as soon as I got out, you know, um, I remember getting off the bus and looking around and a friend uh, met me at the bus. Uh, um, I don't know how they, they knew that because my family didn't know it. I can't remember. And then we just went down on Market Street in San Francisco and went into um, uh, a men's uh, place and bought myself some clothes. And some, you know, went to a men's shoe store and got myself, you know, some shoes. And uh, then I got my hair slicked back. And I was out for a couple of days. I guess I was 17, going on 18. Uh, got out for a couple of days, and then I went to go see my grandma. And when I went to see my grandma, I was dressed in drag as I stood before her. You know, I didn't say, hey, I'm gay. Mm -hmm. This is how I came out to my family. I, I looked like a boy, mm -hmm. you know. So that's how that happened. And so that dynamic, you know, went back and forth, and, you know, that was cool. Um, so then I hooked up with Pearl when she got out. She was from Southern California. She came to Northern California. And um, I, I, I was, um, lived in the projects in North Beach. My father got me a place there and uh, kind of like had my own space. And so I was 18, going on 19, just really trying to figure my life out. Um, so music, um, I didn't really get back into music really heavy. I always played the piano and, you know, and sang and that different kind of stuff. But I didn't, um, 
really get into the music until maybe my 20s, mm. you know, in my 20s. I, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff happened in between this time, you know, a lot of stuff happened in between that time, but I, I didn't get arrested. I was able to dodge that bullet, even though I, I, I did um, I, I did do some, some things that I could have been arrested for. But anyways, um, then I met this um, uh, guy who's a dear friend of mine now, it's like my extended family, and he was uh, recently from L.A., and, you know, he wanted to start a band. And so that's what we did. We started a band. And um, from there, it started off as a six-piece band. I was the only female, you know, in the band. Uh, by this time, I started dressing femme because um, I just, when I first started working, I was dressing, um, you know, as a stud broad, you know, and they called me Ray in my job, and that job was working for uh, State of California in Employment Services. But anyway, eventually, you know, for reasons, um, I, I changed um, and started dressing in women's clothing, so, you know, so to speak, because I started raising children. Um, then I met George, and um, he wanted to start a band, and that's what we did. Started off as six pieces, went up to eight pieces, and then it went up to 13 pieces, and it was a Latin jazz band, so. And that was in the 70s, and we were real strong, very, very strong, and I was the only female in this band, and all of them knew that I was gay. And, uh, it, and I had to be pretty, pretty rough, but I knew and I felt that um, this music had, we had a chance at it, you know. And so everybody talked to me and talked to me, and so I started filming out on stage. And I've always felt uncomfortable and very, there's a lot of resentment, you know, and anger towards the, these other guys. I mean, how can you can look like that and I have to look a certain way, you know. And uh, I know we were playing at the Jack Tar Hotel. We was getting up there, you know. We was following in Malo's step and Santana and all that, you know, during that time. You know, where the, you know, I mean, we were, we were strong. And so there was this one guy who was digging on me, right? And, um, and they wanted me to uh, um, kind of like give this guy some play. And I told him, I said, man, I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to do that. And as a matter of fact, it just ticked me off so much is that I hit the guy. You know, I just was full of rage and stuff. And so when he ap approached me, I mean, that's what I would do back in the, the, those days, uh, particularly if somebody hurt my feelings. And if, you know, I felt like, oh, okay, well, I don't play, you know, the piano well enough or I mean, whatever, but I look okay to go over here, you know, and, and you want me to be with this, with this dude or something. So that dynamic came down, and it was downhill from there. Um, I didn't trust them anymore. I used to cuss them out all the time. Um, I started doing a lot of drugs. Uh, I was doing a lot of drugs anyways to keep up with working an eight-hour day and then going to practice and then going on stage. You know, I got into, you know, uh, speed, you know, to keep me going. And that was, back in the day, and that was the thing to do, you know, um, and that's what I did. You know, I was fueled by, you know, alcohol and drugs. And so that spiraled and we broke up and um, 
from there, I, you know, said, you know, like, one of those, you know, to these guys and stuff. And, I mean, and we had gotten really tight. I mean, some of them, even now today, they're not into any, none of those people that were in the band was into music like I am today. So, um, this was set for George. He's really trying again. But, um, no, they never, they never did. But they, you know, they had a whole bunch to, to say. And I always felt it was George and I that wrote the music, you know, and but yet and still, I guess because I couldn't read or communicate with them, you know, the way they thought I should communicate with them. And as a woman, you know, in the band and stuff, it was just a really hard dynamic. Um, so anyway, we, we broke up and I went solo. And um, that was in the 70s. And so in the 80s as a soloist, I went to Japan, you know, and I wasn't trying to go there. I was like, to me, I don't want to say it, but, you know, like this drunk sitting down on the piano, you know, singing the blues, even though I don't sing the blues. It was my current day, modern day blues singer mm -hmm. is what I started getting a reputation of. But I was just playing my originals. And uh, so this guy came up to me and said, hey, you want to go to Japan? I said, fine, yeah, well, sure, man, you know, why not? So I flew down and auditioned, and um, they selected me, and then I, you know, took off to Japan. I was there for four months in the 80s, and that's where I met um, some jazz people. And, you know, even then, and then I really femmed out because, you know, then I got this manager from PW Productions, I got this manager, and she was like, you know, you, you need to change up. You need to look like this. And and I didn't feel right, you know. So, but anyway, I got some dreads in my hair, and I started putting makeup on and wigs on my, you know, just all this stuff, just really trying to make it. And then, you know, um, then there would be these guys that was just like, you know, just, just want, you know, wanting to be with me and stuff. And so that's where I really felt closeted mm -hmm. and you know kind of like alone over there I never gave anybody any play or let any any one of these people on and so um, then I did my uh, actually it was um, a, a 60 day and then they wanted to extend me to to um, um, 60 more days and that's where I got the four months and then they wanted me they wanted me to stay I think I could have made it there if I, you know, played my cards right and stuff. But um, something was happening back home, and I needed to be back here for my family. And that's what I did. I told him, uh, I, I have to go back. You know, something's happening with my family. And that's what I did. And when I got back, my, my, uh, my niece was, most of my family was strung out on drugs, you know. But then my niece, who happened to be my sister's, you know, first child, which I, you know, I, I have um, um, a lot of history with, I took care of her um, when she was born, uh, mostly because my sister was strung out on heroin. But anyway, Dana got strung out, and um, so she had two boys. And, uh, you know, um, um, and that's what I... I I said, well, I can't take both, both. So this other woman took Devin and I took Damon. Mm -hmm. And it was just going to be a temporary thing. 
one didn't turn out to be temporary because my, my niece never was able to to deal with it. And uh, so I told the people in Japan, I said, I'm not coming back. You know, I got some family things I need to do, maybe in a couple of years, which I had planned to do. But what happened, my niece had more children. And as she was delivering these children, I'm, you know, crusader the rabbit at the hospital, you know. Uh, so I took in two more of her children at birth from the hospital. And that's when I kind of like gave up my music and said, oh, you know, this is what I need to do. So that's what I did. And um, dedicated myself to them. So it, then it became my working career. My working career was um, in employment services. I loved my job. I was very good at what, at what I was doing. And I just kind of like tucked my music, raised the children. And um, when the baby, Darren, graduated 2002, I had been out of the music since the, you know, the late 80s and really until 2002 when he graduated. I decided that I was going to work on my CD because I didn't want, you know. So that's what I did. I worked on my CD. All these songs that I wrote were like from my childhood and I, you know, upgraded them and put out a CD. So when I put out the CD, I says, well, wait a minute. I wasn't thinking, well, what, what am I going to do now? Well, you got to promote it. Mm -hmm. So I found myself back on stage um, 2000 I think it was 2004, 2005 was my first stand-up vocal debut in San Francisco. So as a stand-up vocalist, it's only been since 2005 because I was behind the piano playing or, or whatever. So that's what I did. And then I, that, all of a sudden I turned into this jazz singer who didn't know jazz songs. <laughs> And uh, the only people I remembered was kind of like some of the songs that I did in Japan, which happened to be Frank Sinatra, you know, um, Fly Me to the Moon, I Left My Heart and Sand, you know, different things, you know, because I went over there playing my originals and I had to learn these other different songs, which I learned by ear. So I was there, I was having to like pluck out, because I would go to the club during the day and, you know, work out these songs in my head, you know, sunny side of the street, really easy stuff. So that's the kind of stuff that I found myself singing on stage, knowing, and that, you know, I don't know the words to these songs, I don't know nothing about jazz, so, but I had to do it. Um, and then the clubs didn't want to hire me because I was singing my originals. They were saying that, you know, so that's what led me to build my repertoire more up to um, standard songs. And then I, I, I uh, got this opportunity to go to um, Lithuania, you know, which I did. Well, I, was only, I was able to play my original songs over there. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to leave the country, you know, to, you know, go someplace and play your original music, you know, and be very well accepted. But when you come home and stuff, oh no, you can't do that. You gotta strip yourself of everything and play other people's songs. And so um, that's what I did. Then I came, uh, so now I'm known as a jazz singer.
and um, singing only a handful of songs. Uh, then I had the opportunity to go to the Philippines, you know, and I went there. I've been there, I went there twice, and then I came, um, see, I think one time was a three-week stint, and then I um, went back, and I found my authentic Filipino family there, so I was able to do music and family. Then in 2016, I, um, I came home, and um, I had a hole. And things were different in my throat, so I went to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with throat cancer. So that's what I've been doing, you know, dealing with um, the cancer and rehabbing, you know, from the cancer. So I can't sing like I used to. I can still sing a couple of songs, but I can't, I, I don't think, well, I don't know, I haven't tried it, you know. So I've been doing the physical and mental um, healing, you know, uh, so that brings us up to, you know, today. And I did put out one song in 2018 that I'm going to be promoting um, for, you know, 2019 and, 2000, and, and 2020. Um, and then I don't know what's going to be in between, but that's where I'm at right now. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. Right on. Um, so tell me, you told, you, you mentioned a little bit about your first love that you met while you were in the uh, Authority Center. And so tell me a little bit about what that was for you. I mean, your first love is kind of like, in my mind, it like sets the bar for all the other loves that you encounter in life, right? And so, right. um, tell me about that relationship. Like, what was that to you? How did you learn about yourself and mm, yeah well we, we were incarcerated yeah. so it was kind of like different it was um that physical you know um i mean that physical attraction and stuff mm -hmm. you know was there i mean we would sneak and play around but nothing in terms of a you know a um very intimate sexual encounter mm -hmm. that didn't happen there and we were in there for like two and a half years really caring and loving one another on a spiritual, uh, emotional mm -hmm. thing. And this is where I think I got my, I mean, I can count the women on one hand that I've been with. It won't even go past, you know, one hand that I've been with because I, I, I truly do believe that love is the answer mm -hmm. to things and I put a lot in, you know, into that. My music was my other mistress, you know, I mean, seriously. I didn't need to have any other outside anything outside of my partner and outside of my music. I didn't need none of that. You know, as a matter of fact, I always felt that that was what was wrong with the world in terms of, you know, um, if you mean, because love is such a uh, sacred thing. Mm -hmm. And, and you feel so safe in that, you know. So when you uh, give your trust to that, then nobody else should meddle with it. That, I mean, that's how I feel. I know why other people do it, you know, um, you know, um, because their life may have taken them in a different way, and you know, sex is their 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 um, the driving force of their life, and that acceptance that 
feeling. Um, but music gave me a feeling that I can never explain to people, you know. And being with my partner is the same way, you know, that person. And I don't know if it's kind of like a, a people would say a smothering relationship or whatever the deal is, but um, I think that being incarcerated and caring and really, like I said, the family um, structure that's created within, you know, um, these institutions is strong, mm -hmm. just like even stronger than the streets because, you know, it's like that's, you know, you belong to the Parker family, then that's the Parker family. You don't mess around with the Smith family or whatever the deal is. You know, if they want to, you know, mingle and they have a argument or something like that, you know, we deal with it as a family. It was, um, I don't know, to me it was like um, high school. I really wasn't, didn't get a chance to go to the outside high schools because I was in jail. Mm -hmm. So my, my, um, education was 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 you know there uh, within the institutions within the walls of the institutions so that's where I developed this you know um, very monogamous you know type relationship and just held on to that mm -hmm. now um, a lot of times what had um, it's not to say that I didn't cheat on my next partner that was because I did, you know, and it was always, <clears throat> it wasn't, a, you know, a lot, but one person. Um, but it was, you know, alcohol-driven. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh, you got drunk and you found out, you know, later that, you know, you hanky-panked right. or whatever, you know. So that sort of thing. Um, so that was, you know, my first, my first love. When she came here, and that was my first heartbreak, too. It was, it was really very terrible. When she came um, here also, she was into um, selling drugs. And so I migrated towards doing that sort of thing. And, um, and that's, that's kind of like what we did, you know. Um, um, so when she came here, it was that it, she wasn't here that long. Mm you know, before she got busted again or whatever the deal was. Then my life went on because I think she just really got some pretty serious time. So, um, yeah, so that's how that was. So talk to me a little bit about, um, and I know we've sort of talked about this before, but your experience in terms of... Um, the understanding that you were a woman of color? Like, at what point in your life, in your childhood, in your adulthood, you know, whenever that happened, were, did you become aware, like very much aware, that you were a woman of color? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm biracial. And um, back in the day, it wasn't okay to be biracial. Mm -hmm. You see the black, straight up black, or whatever. So my father's Filipino. And I was living in Petrel Hill, and there was this thing, you know, where my black friends and stuff would tease me because of my father, you know. I mean, it just wasn't okay to be biracial. Um, so I, you know, I learned that on that level, you know. But if we want to talk about on 
and I don't call that racial discrimination or something. I just think that, look at that part, it's like, you know, we were different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, folks just didn't understand or, or whatever. It's not that there weren't other, because there were other biracial people. We, we kind of like interacted with, with each other differently. It wasn't like, you know, being discriminated against um, with, um, you know, white, the, the, you know, the white folks, you know, um, um, and, my, and my being a black woman, you know. So that's my first encounter of realizing that this, and I got a song about it, you know, um, uh, being a little bit different than the rest. That does not mean that you're anything less. Mm -hmm. So um, I wrote a song, you know, um, I was a teenager, um, you know, coming up, and, and I got one of those songs there. So, you know, realizing that, you know, um, that, you know, as a black woman, of course, it, it, it happened during my employment. Mm. You know, it's just like, you know, I didn't get the promotions or, um, you know, you, I was treated differently, you know, than, than the white guy sitting at the next desk, you know, type thing. Um, and so that whole, you know, dynamic within the workplace and the workforce, you know, kind of like kicked in. But I had this way for me to where um, whenever I encountered something like that, I would write music and just kind of like let it, let it go because I was raising children. I was, you know, I've raised six children in my lifetime. So um, there was things that we had to do, I felt, you know, to not allow. And plus that I was full of black rage. Mm. I had to be careful. And um, with anger management, you know, I had to be real careful of who I interacted with, um, of uh, just not, just walking away from it, mm -hmm. you know, just foot, shake it off and move on to something else. So that's been my experience, you know, um, you know, with that, so. So in, in your writing of music, and you said you were writing music even when you were a kid, mm -hmm. um, what was your inspiration in terms of just, I mean, you know, was it through your own experiences? Was it from mm -hmm. watching other people's experiences? Was it just, you know, I mean, what, what, what was it that inspired you in your art, in your craft? You know, there's, uh, there's freedom in love. And I've been gifted with something a little bit different, you know. It's like, well, I don't, these melodies that flow through my head, if I'm in, it's almost like the old-fashioned um, musicals. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like the old-fashioned musicals. Well, that that happens to me, not as much as before, but even to this day. It's when um, there's, say somebody's mother died, mm -hmm. and it's really sad. Well, then there's melodies that goes through my head, soothing, mm -hmm. you know, for me. And so I'm able to take the sounds of my mind or my soul and transfer them over, mm -hmm. you know. I don't know how to explain that, but you know that's how I feel that um, 
Um, and with that, it's very isolating. You know, it's kind of like, and it's kind of like selfish in a sense because I want to be able to share them and package it. But the industry doesn't, you know, you got to do everything according to, you know, to them and stuff. But, um, you know, anyway, I, I, I think that many of us have been gifted, you know, with these beautiful melodies mm -hmm. that are coping mechanisms, our own internal built-in coping mechanisms. So I was able to embrace a lot of that and just, you know, for me, mm -hmm. you know, um, until I decided in 2002 that I wanted to do a CD. I wanted to share my music. And uh, that's where the, um, my first CD, Journey into the 14th Hour, is really a story of my life mm -hmm. and how I encountered and experienced um, my life experiences and my perception and uh, my responses. Mm -hmm. To that, which includes, remember I said I had this thing about um, uh, getting the modern day uh, blues singer? Well, I was singing modern day, Lord, they don't care about my living or dying, and seemed like everybody's fussing and fighting, oh, boo hoo, oh, boo hoo. And so, but then I says, oh, you know, what I'm gonna do is, you know, I wanna turn this into inspirational songs, motivational songs. Um, it's like, I believe, I believe that my river will flow. Well, part of that song was like, uh, stormy weather took refuge in me, found myself living in misery. You know, so that was the time that was, you know, like th that was my drug addiction, mm -hmm. you know, time. But I believed in myself, yes I do, I believe I can search it on through, which I did you know, in terms of leaving the drugs and stuff alone, and just, you know, and the reasons why I did that. And um, um, the other one is just because. It means like being different. It's about that biracial stuff. It's, um, it's kind of like a conversation I had with my mother. Just because you're different than the rest doesn't mean that you're anything less. As a matter of fact, I think you're the best. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of thing. So. These are my, it's my life experience, and that's what I think in, uh, for the music. So when yeah. you, when you write, and that, because I think part of, at least from my perspective, part of that, and, and you've even explained, it's through your own experience, it's, mm -hmm. it's your life story. Um, did you feel that you had the freedom, in the, especially in the, the album that you released, did you feel like you had the freedom to really express yourself and all of who you are to include your sexuality to include just yeah <laughs> all of it yeah N no to the sexuality mm -hmm. because there is one song that was on there that I wrote for for um, my wife Ayana trust in me and where because um, um, I want to say girl you've given to me mm -hmm. you know and I didn't you know, I said, so, you, you know, take the word out, and, you know, that sort of stuff. So, no to that, you know. Um, in terms of, um, I defied commercialism. I, I did. Because, they, you, know, I don't, you know, there's a certain hook that you need to put into it or 
certain vibe that you needed to put into it. And what I wanted to do is to preserve a, a, as much of it as I possibly could. And that's what I did, you know. Um, you know, on hindsight, would I have done it differently, you know, knowing what I know today? Probably so. Mm -hmm. You know, probably. Because it took a lot of money to make a CD. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of time, a lot of energy. I put a lot into, you know, doing that. Uh, so I would have done it differently because you have to go to with the industry standards, you know. It's like the American Idol, mm -hmm. you know. It's like everybody got to sing a certain way. Well, you know, what about the Nina Simones or the Ella Fitzgeralds or the Billy Holidays? It doesn't, this music industry, and because it's commercialized, it doesn't leave any space for someone to, you know, to be that authentic soul, you know, music. I don't mean black soul music. I mean soul music. I don't care if you're pink, purple, or green. You know, to, to, to release itself in its purity. Because everybody's trying to change it. Oh, okay, let's put a hook in there. Mm -hmm. Let's put a hook in there. But when you wrote it, you, you didn't think of the hook. You just kind of like, oh, fine-tune it or whatever. So, um, you know, and, and, and I mean, even today, you know, when I sing someone else's song, one of them is Misty. And there was this, uh, I've been singing Misty all the way back to from the 80s. That's the only song that I knew. Because mm -hmm. I, you know, sang it with Cedar Walton. When he was in Japan, I, I, I sang with his group, you know, in Japan. And I just had a great time with it. And so somebody said to me, um, well, that's not the way the song goes. And I looked at them, and one of the songs, too, was God Bless the Child. Because, I, you know, my interpretation is how I interpret it. And I looked at them, and I said, don't you know that I know that? You know, I, I got highly indignant, mm -hmm. you know. I know how the song goes, but this is my interpretation. And so right there, you know, people, you know, and they, they've done it to others. You know, I've, I've spoken to other vocalists and stuff. If you veer away too much to where the musician gets a little bit, oh, wait a minute. I says, man, just keep playing. Right. I said, just keep going. You know, I'm there. You know, I'm there. Right. And... Um, so for, for many of the, when, particularly when I was doing my second CD, Within the 14th Hour, you know, I said, I said to uh, the producer, um, I said, I'm going to sing it the way I want to sing it, okay? And, you know, you play it and, you know, get it, get it there, and I'm going to put the vocals the way that I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And um, some of them, now that I listen to them, it could have been done, but it was my interpretation. Anna Maria's interpretation, you know, um, but, you know, you've got your jazz purists out there and they want to hear it the same way or, um, or whatever. So, uh, you know, that's the thing. I don't think the music industry allows for, you know, pure homegrown talent to exist. You know, and I think that maybe the musicians, the younger musicians that are coming up now, I think I, I heard somebody, her name is Her. Mm. 
Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, her. And I need to listen to her, you know, her a little bit more. But, um, you know, she might have something that's, you know, breaking out into her own, her own um, style instead of following so much of the industry, creating something different. So. so if you, for any of the music that you write today, do you still feel confined in terms of being able to, you know, again, with the pronouns, you know, like if you were to write a song today uh, for your wife, would you use her or would yeah. you? Yeah, with the pronouns now, I mean, I, you know, I mean, we never experienced this before. You know, I'm in my 70s, mm -hmm. okay? And, we, you know, this is great. I mean, just to be able to hold her hand, mm -hmm. you know, when we're walking down the street, then we, <laughs> then we would say, well, is that two old women going down the street? <laughs> you know, because that's when you, before we would see two old ladies walking, holding hands, mm -hmm. holding people up. I'm being facetious here. But, you know, it, it's, you know, that's such a blessing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just such freedom, you know, just to be able to hold her hand or reach over and give her a kiss on the forehead. That was like, oh, no, we didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Now, you remember, I raised six children in my lifetime. I did not want to impose on them my sexuality. So there was, a, you know, they knew that, you know, I, I, I had... Um, uh, my partner, but it was never flaunted in front of them. Friends would come over to my house at the door. I would say, no affection around my children, please. And if they didn't do that, well, then I didn't hang, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, um, and I know that that was, but that's how, you know, I, I felt. I wanted them to not be influenced or be ashamed. Mm -hmm. Of, of, of me because I was brought up in a lot of shame of having an alcoholic mother, um, having um, um, a Filipino father. Um, there was a time where I felt shame because he was a Filipino man, you know, um, that couldn't, wouldn't communicate or whatever. Anyways, but I didn't want that for the children. So um, that's kind of like, you know, what happened for me. I love it now. So if you, because you mentioned um, and you so you told the story about how when you were with a band and they wanted mm -hmm. you to basically sleep with a guy in order to like help uh -huh. push the band forward, um, and I, I think even even outside of just being a queer woman, I think that just happens to even straight women in terms of like. Yeah you do this and we all get something great, right? And so mm -hmm. um, what would you offer to a young person now? Because it does still exist. I mean, we've, we've come a long way, but it is still a thing in terms yeah. of, you know, <coughs> you sleep your way to the top, if you will. Right, um, right. What would you, if, you're, if you were speaking to a young queer woman who's, you know, just finding out about herself, trying to figure out who she is, how she's gonna walk in this life, um, but she knows that she's queer and and she knows that you know she wants to be involved in the arts what advice would you offer her um, now having lived through that and and looking yeah. at where we are now yeah just pay attention just know your her story you know 
Because, you know, we've mapped out, you know, we've paved the road for this equality, you know, of, of uh, humankind. You know, we've done that. There's the Me Too movement. There's all these different movements. There's people be becoming um, more politically aware of what's going on in our society. And there's these groups that, you know, support groups that, that are here. It's, it's like, I, you know, as a young person, I wish I were, I were if this had a, I'd probably be rich today if I would have had that freedom, you know? And just for them to tap into their um, essence right now is, is a lot easier. It's like there's a few um, high schools around here, and I see girls and guys, you know, walking around hand in hand, holding, you know, I mean, I mean, golly, and no, there's no shame to their game or anything. So I think that the young people now are demanding their right, um, you know, to be who they are, to be who they are. Now on the stage, it's kind of like, well, why do I have to, um, I mean, and I still do it, you know, put makeup on. I mean, Ayana literally runs, you know, around the house chasing me to get um, makeup on me, mm -hmm. you know, um, because I don't, I just don't, I don't feel right. And I, you know, and I still have resentment. Okay, why can a bass man, you know, come up there with sandals on his feet, even though, you know, even though I have to dress up? And they're so accepted, you know. They can put on these crazy hats. You know, they can go up there bare-chested. They can, you know, anything they want. But the woman, when she kicks up there, she has to be, you know, all, you know, jazzed up. Yeah. You know, so. So this is, last question. Um, when you think about love for yourself, um, for the world, what does love look like to you? Well, I think I, I want to break those up into two separate questions. So first, tell me for yourself, for mm -hmm. for Anna Maria, what does love look like for you? Well, love for me is, um, I mean, it's the answer to a lot of different things. Um, but love for me personally is where I am today. You know, is that, you know, I do have some closure to um, just with our young people today and just where we are in society today, the acceptance of our sexuality um, as compared to before, to before, you know, that's, that's like the freedom, you know, I mean, love is freedom, um, freedom to be who who we are and not to be afraid. So love is peace. I mean, but do we have everlasting peace or love? No, not, not, not in this world. But we can create that for ourselves in terms of, you know, um, love is the answer. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's all I So what do you, what does your love language look like for yourself? Like what are, what are your practices to offer love to yourself? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, that that's a hard one to answer because right now I'm in the process of um, 
of healing. And, and, and while I'm in this process, I think that, you know, loving myself would be, you know, like having the freedom to do what I want musically. Um, but then I have so much, so that's a hard one for me to, you know, to, to really answer right now because I'm in this personal struggle of accepting, um, it's almost like a soul loss um, of just recapturing that again. And then plus the aging process, you know, it's different. So, you know, love is the answer to everything, but, you know, it's just a wholeness, just to feel, you know, a wholeness and free. That's if you that. could offer something to the world, um, whether it be through your music or, or just through your words, what would that thing be? Just, you know, anything that, that you feel like you could offer to the world to make the world better. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess I'm going back to this one thing. You know, you know, love is the answer, it's the key. If we can keep that at the forefront, everything else that comes at us, no matter what the situation, you know, might be, um, if you can just remember that you've, you've defined yourself as love, you know, and just keep bringing yourself to the forefront so that you can ward off all the other stuff, you know, just coming back to your, your center and your focus. That's, you know, it's the key, it's the answer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. No, it's all good. So that's all the questions that I have. Is there anything else that you'd like to just bring up and bring into the atmosphere? No, I guess I'm, you know, I'm glad that, you know, you're doing this. I think it's, um, you know, a good subject to explore. I know that there's, um, you know, like earlier when you said that, so many people that just gave or threw the towel in or, you know, just, it just make, makes it really hard. There's this one uh, woman, I, I just think she's the best. Her name is Gwen Avery. She's no longer with us. But this woman, in my mind, was just a beautiful blues singer, jazz singer, gospel singer, and she was her own woman. You know, and she stood up there, you know, in the front of, you know, everybody. She was her own uh, person, but she was conflicted. You know, there's a lot of conflict in her existence because of music versus her sexuality. If she could have got up there dressed up as a stud broad or something and really pumped it, you know, girlfriend would probably be, you know, there. Mm -hmm. But um, that didn't happen for many musicians. Um, from our era, you know, of folks. It just didn't happen that way. So I just want the young people and, you know, millennials or, you know, whoever, is to keep this flowing, keep it going, um, for all of us to stand up and, you know, like really demand it just by being on stage, being yourself. It's like, I'm thinking, well, I want to return to the stage because I've been off stage. Well, how do I want to return? I mean, I've had that conversation mm -hmm. with self. Do I want to look like some of these pictures I've been looking mm -hmm. as? Or do I want to look like I want to look? Like I, you know, I had used to wear hats and 
you know, uh, shades and you know, my pair of jeans and you know, my boots, you know, that kind of stuff. Maybe I put a little shiny stuff on my boot to yeah. do, you know, just looking just, you know, instead of long earrings and, you know, pearl necklaces and eyelashes and yeah. wigs and stuff, you know, it's kind of like, damn, you know, you look at yourself and says, too, is that me or... Just be free, just to be, you know, just get up there and with my dirty jeans on and yeah. just, you know, perform. Well, I think you should do it. Yeah, but I think well, it's, all these I mean, other people do it, you know. You know it's, what's interesting is, is I often dress how I feel when mm -hmm. I'm doing a show. And I, I've, I've always been that way when I was a kid. I just mm -hmm. like to dress how I feel. So some days I may want to be Fly Diva, and then mm -hmm. other days I just want jeans and a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. And I'm good with that. And for a long time I mm -hmm. did experience a lot of that around you have to dress a certain way when you're on stage you have to present a certain way when you're on stage and then i kind of started to veer away from that and what's interesting is even even now i still have people that want to offer me friendly advice and mm -hmm. just like well you know you would look so much better if you but you know my thing is is like but did you enjoy the music well right. yeah of course well then that's all that matters yeah and so yeah. i think i'm certainly learning what it means to just uh, to know that this isn't this is my thing, you know what I mean. This is what gives yeah. me life, and I'm gonna do it how it feels right for me. And then you don't have to like it. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be your favorite thing, but it is. This is my thing, and so I mean, I would certainly if you tell me that you're doing a show and you're gonna dress mm -hmm. comfortably, I will tell everybody I know <laughs> to show up yeah. and to support. Yeah. And um, because I certainly think that it speaks volumes to have. Um, an elder such as yourself even mm. for you to have that platform to be able to be your authentic self because now is the time to do it I think yeah. you know what I mean like now is the time to yeah, my authentic self that's to like, uh, just to do you you yeah, know what I mean yeah. like it's I, if there's no other time I think now is the time so yeah, I might take that my authentic self returns there you go you know it's like <laughs> there you go yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I certainly I think that would be good. I think that would be good. I think it would be um I think it would speak so many volumes to so many people, yeah. especially some of the young people like I said that are out there that need that motivation cuz while mm -hmm. things are definitely better than what they have been, there's still a lot of challenges and there's still a lot of bullies out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And especially if you not if you don't live in the Bay Area, it's even harder. Oh, you know? yeah. So it's like um I think for people to be able to see that and to see that, mm -hmm. you know, for everything it is that you've worked for, this yeah. is the payoff, you know. So yeah. just tell me when the show is. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I just thank you again okay. uh, so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interview with Anna Maria Flachero. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast to find her music and contact information. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Be well and be blessed. One love. Ooh.